Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at you. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Real Talk. As ever, I'm your host, Anna Pajajski, and this episode I was joined in the UCL studio by Dr. Jamie Upton. Jamie's a cell and molecular biologist who is also a self-confessed chocoholic. Uh, I know that's like, it's one of the lamest aholics <laughs> you can be, isn't it? It's, it just brings to mind, it's like, oh, it's Debbie in finance. So, oh, that- <laughs> I'm such I'm such a chocolate, honestly. I am terrible. But no, I I exhibit like terrible addictive behaviours which could definitely classify as some form of holism. And yeah. What what would be an example of that? Well, I, so I've brought along a bag of treats today. Um so yeah, we're gonna be talking about chocolate. So um this is uh is there a jingle for this bit? Jamie's bag of chocolate. What's he got in the chocolate bag? Lots of chocolate. Can't find the one. Uh, okay, so I've brought I brought two examples of chocolate bars, which um, cause, yeah, I exhibit like the kind of thing where people sneak off to the bathroom to get a bottle of gin out of the uh, toilet system. Or, you know, sort of smoking cigarettes and then... Out of the window. Out the window and then, like, covering themselves in cheese and onion crisps to mask the flavour. <laughs> like, okay. I I do the same with chocolate. So um, you'll sneak off during a dinner party if the dessert is too shit? Yeah, I'll just, just bring, a... bring my own. But the I sort of go through these quite ritualistic eating habits with them, which are not fit for public viewing um luckily so, this is a podcast <laughs> yeah well no one has to see them but I, I've, I've brought along one that you can sort of embark on with me excellent now, this behavior is called shelling i believe there you go so thank you i'm handing anna plazajski a kit kat chunky mm-hmm. it's a kit kat chunky duo so we can both have one now it involves taking off the different layers and I find this process so fucking satisfying. I've also just realised as I've handed you this that you're a vegan. <laughs> uh, so um, Look, for the purposes of science, I'm happy to overlook that. Right. Uh, so the best way to do a Kit Kat duo um, or a Kit Kat chunky is, so you start by taking off either end. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm, so then do the, the other end. If you're listening at home, you can do the same. <laughs> 
Um, so then you've got the two ends off, mm-hmm. and then you've got the sort of longer side. So this comes off if you just get your teeth underneath it, like get a bit of purchase on it. It can come off in one go. Oh no! Look at that. That's terrible. Oh, you. I just got. <laughs> you fucking amateur. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll make a sheller of you yet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I've not been too successful. How do you do it? Either. My bottom teeth are just scraping up. Mm. It takes practice. Does it come off cleanly for you? You don't get this overweight uh, <laughs> by uh, not shelling on a daily basis. You've really made a mess of the uh, <laughs> the inner wafer there. So many yours. See, quite clean. That's beautiful. I can see all the strata of the inner mm. wafer there. Oh, this, is, this is probably going to need some hefty editing, isn't it? It's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> actually disgusting. It is. I mean, the whole point of this behaviour is that it's absolutely fucking disgusting. Like, mm. if you are disgusted listening at home <laughs> or on your commute, you're sort of squirming in your bus seat, imagine what it's like watching a hairy, balding man... <laughs> All right, so I've got the other side off now. Okay, I tend to go for the top bit now, so you can still see the remnants of the Kit Kat branding there. Oh, mine's just a cat. All right, shall I look at that? Oh, wow, okay. Oh, so no. you often lose, like, the top strata doing that, mm. but, um, oh, it's so satisfying. I mean, get a nice clean break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, finally, the bottom bit. And then you're just left with a wafer. Mm-hmm. For everyone at home, I'd say my wafer is... About twice the size of mine. Oh, at least. Um, what you do is you then um, wrap that in cellophane and uh, document it and add it to your library. <laughs> of, Shut um, up. <laughs> I told you it's uh, strange compulsive behaviour that right. no normal person should embark on. I'm just going to eat mine. You do not eat your wafer? No, because, uh, well, what? I'm going to be eating a lot of other chocolate bars oh. over the course of this podcast. So uh, I'm going to eat mine. To bring it all back to material science, what this sort of highlights is that Chocolate bars aren't just a sort of, well, they're not designed purely around flavour. They're designed around these sort of different sections with different consistencies so that your, uh, the way that you sort of, your mouth interacts with it will sort of go through all these like, oh, hard layer, slightly soft layer, oh, crispy layer, all of that. And this this all comes back to, there's a sort of food psychology thing called mouthfeel. Mm. Mm. It's like, it's one of the words that's up there with... Like moist and gusset, as <laughs> like words in the English language that, which were purely designed to make people feel uncomfortable. Right. So that's all about varying the texture and creating this kind of journey through the chocolate bar. <laughs> yeah, I'm sensory sure, journey. I'm sure if you are if you work for Cadbury, Nestle, mm. Hershey's, all of that, then yes, there is like there's going to be loads of marketing chat about what is the customer journey through the chocolate bar. Right. Um, and you actually completely fuck with that when you shell things exactly. because they're not anticipating anyone eating. And like, I I don't follow I don't follow the man's rules when it comes to chocolate bars. I I take my own journey, and I uh, I'm not uh, I'm not ashamed of that. No, I am ashamed of that. I think the whole point of this whole conversation is that I feel deep levels of shame uh, every time I eat a chocolate bar. Well, we're here for you, Jamie. Thank you. And we're also here to talk about the material science of chocolates. Yeah. Because as it turns out, chocolate is actually a highly engineered material. Mm. And it's also highly delicious. And so today we're going to be picking apart exactly what makes chocolate so delicious. Okay. And shelling. <laughs> it always comes back to shelling. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, someone has 
used an MRI scanner to look at cross sections of chocolate bars. Don't know if you want to share this using the Real Talk Twitter. Absolutely. Um, it's it's. I mean, it's a good sort of quiz. You can look at these cross sections and try to work out what chocolate bar it is. Um, I mean, these images just demonstrate exactly to what extent chocolate manufacturers go to create different journeys within their chocolate bars, be it crunchy bits, be it foamy bits, be it caramel, all these different layers and experiences that you get when you're eating chocolate. And I think it's those experiences that is what makes the eating of chocolate so enjoyable. Yeah, it's not just the fact it's a lovely combination of like, you've got the bitterness of the chocolate, the sweetness of the sugar... There's obviously loads of salt in there to make it as addictive as possible. But it's not just the flavour, it's the consistency. And the key thing is that it melts in the mouth. So I think there was an old advert, which I forget which chocolate it is, but it says something like, melt in your mouth, not in your hand. Which is just like, well, that's good. That's what something should do. You don't want to... It's like they've made sure that the consistency of it is such that it will melt at the right temperature, i.e. in your mouth, uh, with a bit of saliva. Mm. I'm determined to make chocolate as disgusting as possible by the end of this so that no one will ever want to eat it again. Happy Easter! Um, Yeah, so the way that this is done is through the crystals of cocoa butter that are found in the chocolate bar. So uh, chocolate's a composite, Mm-hmm. Is this correct? I would say so. The ma- the majority, correct me if I'm wrong, the main components structurally, when we're talking about actually what the material of chocolate is, the two crystalline forms, you've got the crystals of sugar in there and then you've got the crystals of cocoa butter. And the whole business of being a chocolatier is about manipulating how these crystals of cocoa butter form and mm-hmm. the form that they are in. So cocoa butter can take one of five, actually probably six. six, yeah. Yeah, one of six different crystal structures. And so all that means to a material scientist is that the atoms in that cocoa butter are all lined up in a crystalline structure. So it's a very neat repeating pattern. Mm -hmm. And all of those different crystals have the atoms in a different formation. And as with all crystals, each crystal has its own distinct melting point. Mm-hmm. And the job of a chocolatier is to select the right crystalline structure so that it has the right melting point in the mouth. Absolutely correct. So I believe that the way this is done is the rate at which you cool the chocolate. So when you have your sort of your raw products, so this is the cocoa liqueur, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a bit, I think. The rate that you cool it at defines which type of crystal you get. So, as you say, there's six different crystals, and it's only really the fifth and the sixth form of this crystal that make anything approaching tasty chocolate. So the fifth crystal, I think, is like the sort of the gold standard, the one that you're really aiming for, and that has a melting point of 32 to 34 degrees centigrade. Yeah, so we've got these six types of crystalline structure. Mm. Um, the imaginatively called types 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 and 6 and they're called that in order of increasing melting temperature mm-hmm. so types 1 and 2 have a melting temperature around 16 degrees Celsius and they use these crystalline forms of chocolate on things like ice cream sprinkles uh. so you need a lowered melting temperature because in the mouth 
the ice cream will lower the mouth temperature, but you still yeah. want the chocolate to melt and release the flavours. So that's why they use these quite disgusting crystalline structures for ice cream. I didn't. I was just looking through my bag. Let's have a look in Jamie's chocolate bag. Have you got a one or a two there? No. Oh. Well, um, anyway, types three and four have a slightly higher melting temperature than that. And these are actually the easiest to make. They're the most stable crystal structures. That's what the cocoa butter actually wants to be. These crystal structures have a higher melting temperature than 16, but low enough that they melt in the hand. So if you've ever taken like a normal, say, dairy milk or whatever, mm. um, you've tried to melt it in the pan and then it's solidified again. Ah. Those are types three and four. And if you've ever tried to he- hold those, you'll notice that it melts in the hand, and that's okay. much more lower. So you can take uh, a, like a good sort of uh, number five crystal and turn it into a crap number three crystal At just home. by heating it up yeah. in your own home. Yeah, give it a go, people. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, type five is the aim of the game. Uh, yeah. But it's actually quite difficult to form these crystals because types three and four are so stable. Yeah. So what chocolatiers tend to do is seed the crystals. And that means sticking in a little bit of the crystal that you want, i.e. a different bit of type 5. And then those seeds, we use this in material science all the time to grow all sorts of crystals. But once you seed that, it's easier for the material to just add on more atoms in the same formation than it is for them to create a completely new crystal of their own form. So like crystals, they're just like copycat. They're sort of reading their neighbours' test results. Oh, (laughs) like what's that, a four times? Times 17 is it oh right and then they so they just do the same thing again and again and again that's exactly that's pretty nuts yeah it's pretty weird isn't it yeah. so yeah chocolatiers will talk about seeding type five and that's just Ugh. contacting the right crystal structure in your melt <laughs> i mean they're all disgusting with seeding <laughs> Seed- melt <laughs> yeah it's pretty grim yep okay so that's how chocolatiers actually manipulate the crystal structure of their chocolate but These chocolatiers are taking the chocolate in almost its end form. Mm -hmm. Obviously, chocolate in that form doesn't grow on trees. So how do we actually make chocolate from the very beginning? So chocolate comes from a plant called the cacao. And on the cacao, you get these beans growing. And you then take these beans and you put them in a big old pile and then you let them ferment Now, what's quite interesting is that this fermentation process doesn't actually uh, affect the main bit of the chocolate that you then go on to sort of mill and turn into the chocolate liqueur. But putting them in a pile and having all the yeast and bacteria um, heating up around them uh, heats them to just the right temperature that allow you to sort of move it on to the the next stage of the process. And it sort of breaks down all of the the bit that exists around the bean, the sort of the shell. Effectively, the yeast and the bacteria are doing a shelling of their own, their very own kind. Oh, that's lovely. And yeah. I think also, actually, this fermentation process starts to create some of the flavour compounds that we exactly. later meet in chocolate. Exactly, yeah. So if you don't do this fermentation, it doesn't. It, it's just never going to taste quite right. So we've got our fermented beans. Mm-hmm. What do we do next? So we have to mill it so that we basically separate the cocoa butter, and this is the oily bit, from the chocolate particles. So the butter is the thing that's going to give us our lovely consistency, but then we need the cocoa particles uh, to give it the sort of bitter taste. It would come more readily from like uh, a dark chocolate. Next, you've got the drying and the roasting of the beans. 
Is there anything you want to say on that from a materials point of view? There is actually. Oh. So the drying and the roasting is how we get more of these flavour compounds created. Ooh. And above 160 degrees, what you get is proteins and carbohydrates in the material start to react. Aha. And this is called the... Maillard reaction. Exactly. Yeah. So I think this is a reaction that makes toast delicious as well. I think it's what makes everything delicious, mm. isn't it? It's good old cross-linking. It's also what makes everything carcinogenic. Yeah. Um, lovely combinations of sugar and protein mixed with each other uh, is what will eventually give us all cancer and die. Yeah, but yeah. it's delicious. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then after this, you crush the beans in the cocoa fat mm -hmm. and you separate the two. Yeah, so then once you've got the separated cocoa butter fat and the uh, chocolate particles, what you then have to do is a process called conching. So a nice way of thinking about conching is a bit like trying to spread butter on a million tiny pieces of bread. Um, so you want to get a nice even consistency of fat going around each of the chocolate particles. So what you're doing in this process is sort of bringing down the viscosity of the mix that you've got and getting it in something that's a lot more workable for the chocolatiers to then start mixing in different concentrations of sugar and milk to start playing about with basically how you would go to make your chocolate bars. Oh, OK. So at this point, it then becomes more of a recipe, like a, like a sort of food recipe. Yeah, know. yeah. It's like less of a process. More of the magic starts to happen. <laughs> nice. Well, I would argue that the magic happens at the material science part of the Okay, sure. Anyway, it blows my mind that this is a process that we as humans have developed. Mm -hmm. um, of course, in the West, we can't really take any credit for any of these Well, we're very good at taking credit for things, <laughs> to be honest. So, uh, so, so who was it and when did they first start making chocolate? Cocoa, well, the cacao first originated from South America and Aztecs and Incas back there were using it as a sort of ritual thing and also just a tasty thing for ages. Uh, but what they used to do with it was they would just drink it with water, which quite frankly sounds disgusting. But then, well done Britain, we came along and we decided, well, it's sort of like the usual trick that the British do with any commodity that they bring back from far, far away. They think, oh, well... Uh, maybe if we mixed it with milk and some sugar, then we could have something really tasty. So then we had uh, a guy, so former president of the Royal Society, Hans Sloan. He mixed the chocolatey water with some milk and some sugar, and he made uh, was credited with making the first drinking chocolate. This was then taken up by the Cadbury brothers. Uh, around about 20 years later, they successfully commercialize this so in the first instance it was kind of marketed almost like as a like a medical aid rather than a confectionery of any kind but yeah uh, the Cadbury's brothers recognize the value in people just like drinking really sweet things it turns out what a surprise but then the trick of making it into solid chocolate bars was found by a chemist from uh, Dutchland or the Holland as it's known, the Hollowlands, you know, the Netherlands, yeah. yes. His name was Conrad van Houten, and lo and behold, it's even better when it's solid. So thus was born 
the science of mouthfeel, chocolate mouthfeel. So, so this Dutch chemist, he was the one that experimented with actually removing half the cocoa butter and then adding it subsequently back in. And then it was it was a guy called Joseph Fry, who sounds British, mm-hmm. um, that in sort of the the mid eighteen hundreds, he was the one that actually made chocolate mouldable by incorporating the right ratio of cocoa butter going back in. Uh-huh. Um, and then I suppose it must have been the Cabri brothers that stole that from him or developed his process because well, it was they, around 10 they, years later. They're like first it. to market. They're, um, yeah. They've got brand loyalty. Yeah, well, I mean, this was the time of the Industrial Revolution as well. So yep. all of these processes were being sort of chemically looked at but then also mechanised. It was Rudolf Lint who invented a conching machine, and so then they could mechanise this conching process. Lint. And that was in 1879. Uh, I, well, let's have a look. Let's, let's have a look in Jamie's chocolate bag. <laughs> it's the most consistent jingle you'll ever hear. Slightly different every time. Uh, I have no lint chocolate in the bag. Oh. I'm an idiot. Uh, well, no, I'm not an idiot because to go back to my shameful habit, I, there's certain things that I cannot have in the house. Mm. And Lindor, oh, the, stop the, it. Yeah. the spheres of yeah. the spheres of shame, um, <laughs> because uh, I mean they they're built for shelling again. No, because um... you can peel the outside and then you've just got the. You've got the soft sort of praline bit in the middle, and that is melting the hand. So you then yeah. have this, like, you, you know, you have like seconds to get this little sphere of melty <laughs> chocolate poo into your mouth before it's just made a like catastrophic mess all over your fingers. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The only other thing to say about the history of it is that, well, geographically around the world, 
the different types of chocolate that we encounter when we go on holiday are all very different. Yeah. And I think I'm right in saying that this is mainly to do with the type of milk that they add. Correct. So what's that about? So in Britain, we've sort of stuck to our guns on using good old, well, mainly liquid milk to make our chocolate, whereas a lot of other countries will just use powdered milk or whey or sort of mix between the two. I guess this mostly comes from the fact that other countries are hotter, mm. uh, so milk spoils a lot quicker. And also, I mean, we're, we're quite a small country with lots of cows in it, so you don't have very far to go to get your milk from the udders to the bars. Um, right. So, and also, I suppose there's a certain amount of pride in like British chocolate, proper British chocolate. <laughs> You get Robert Kraft coming over here, buying Cadbury's and filling it with Philadelphia. That's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, in America, apparently they remove some of the fat from the chocolate using enzymes, which is what makes... Enzymes? <laughs> yeah, which is what makes American chocolate kind of cheesy. Uh, yeah, well, it has that... I was speaking to a perfumer and he was telling me... There's a chemical called methyl butyrate, I think it is, mm -hmm. which is a very short chain fatty acid, which you find in quite high concentrations in Hershey's Kisses would be a good example. The other thing that it's found in quite high concentrations in is vomit. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, because it's one of the sort of breakdown products that you get in like sick, basically. Oh my God. Um, so, like, when people say oh, it tastes like sick, it's like, no, it probably does taste like sick. There are sick compounds in it. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, it would make sense if you're letting enzymes loose on uh, fats and protein. Like, you are going to get these breakdown products as a result. Cit citation needed on that one, other than <laughs> a perfumer I once spoke to, but I'm going to go with it. Yeah, yeah. that's rank. Have you got any favourite chocolate facts for us? I do. Uh, right, and so let's go back to... Here's the bag that Jamie's got. It's got some chocolate in it. What's this? It's a flake. <gasps> it's a Cadbury's flake. Now, a Cadbury's flake is a very interesting piece of engineering in that it is a chocolate bar that cannot be melted using temperature like just baking heat alone oh. so it, get ready for uh the next home in experiment you can get involved with um <laughs> if you buy yourself a cadbury's flake and also buy say just a cadbury's dairy milk put them side by side in your oven and then turn up the temperature and just watch what happens what should happen is the Cadbury's dairy milk will just start to like capitulate and go all melty, but the flake is sort of steadfast. It like just it will hold its own and it will just stay. It will get hotter and hotter, but it won't melt. What? What? But it's not. Isn't it a melt in the mouth material? Well, what I think is happening is it will melt in the mouth. I mean, let's let's give this a try. In the name of science. I mean, who buys a flake on its own? Yeah. It's, it's the type of thing you only get in an ice cream, isn't it? Mm. Can I have a bite of that? Yeah, I'll break a little bit off. Have a little break. Oh, no. no I mean... It's not really a breaking This is chocolate. why no one ever buys a flake. I'm holding it in my mouth to see if it's melting. Mm. Mm. It's hard to just hold it, isn't it? Mm. Mm. So, 
I'm going to do the whole next bit with a throat <laughs> in my mouth. And then, so what I'm going to do is you kick Margaret's teeth. No, what I would conjecture mm. is going on here is in your mouth, mm-hmm. the difference between your mouth and an oven. Teeth. Ooh. No. I would see. I was going to say moisture. Oh yeah, that as well. Oh yeah, because <laughs> actually my oven has teeth. Um, <laughs> a lovely set of teeth. Yeah, I suppose as well. Yeah, your your mouth is sort of working it around. Like if you're maybe if you put it in a tumble dryer. <laughs> so experiment number two: uh, take <laughs> a Cadbury's flake, put it in your tumble dryer. <laughs> Don't forget to take the clothes out first. Um, yeah, and then see what happens. And then after you've done that, then add a bit of moisture as well. Mm. Um, and then see if you can actually melt a flake using your soggy tumble dryer. So I suspect what's happening here. You know earlier we said that chocolate is really a composite between cocoa fat and sugars. Oh, yeah. What I reckon is happening is that the melting temperature of the sugar is really, really high. And if this is so high in sugar content mm-hmm. that the majority of the material doesn't actually melt when you put it in the oven. Yeah. What you're relying on when you eat the flake is your saliva dissolving the sugar Precisely. rather than melting it. Yeah. Amazing. I thought we could do an experiment in the studio because Ooh. I've brought along my blowtorch. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes, please. Let's go into Anna's bag of <laughs> dangerous <laughs> science things. <laughs> so uh, what's really great for everyone listening at home is that I've brought a bag full of chocolate. Anna uh, has brought with her... Probably things that you shouldn't have in a very small recording studio. <laughs> One is um, a blowtorch. <laughs> and the other is, uh, I would say, a 20-litre canister of helium. <laughs> uh, yep. And so, I'm not apologising for it. Nope. Should we give this a go? Uh, yeah, I mean, we should put it onto a surface that is less flammable than this carp- <laughs> carpeted table. flammable. Um, expensive here's, a pla- rec- here's a plastic box in the corner. <laughs> ah, yes, good old inflammable plastic. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? I'm delighted that this is happening. <laughs> I'm unwrapping my flake. Yeah. I'm going to hold it in my hand because I don't want you to see me. Um, I'm going to turn my blowtorch on. Is it? Okay. Ooh. And we're going to try... I'm going to hold it quite far away. Oh, look, oh, it's burned straight away. <laughs> oh, so it's burnt, but that's fine. I never said it wouldn't burn. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just said it wouldn't melt. Oh, it smells horrible. What does it smell like? Burnt toast. That was really quick to burn. If you, if you touch it now, it won't be hot. Is it melted? No, so I, when I've done this before, I put a flake in the, in the oven and immediately took it out and thought, well, that's not melted. I'll eat it. Mm. And I scalded my mouth because, oh. like, sugar, hot sugar is, like, the worst thing because it's, like, molten yeah. and just sticks to the surface. That's horrible. It's uh, pretty grim. So, well, let's try, uh, let's have a look. Let's have a look in Jamie's bag. We're just going to make what? some horrible smells in this. So I've also got... Um, so the, the rest of my chocolates that I've got, um, I've, these are sort of all gifts for um, the wonderful vegan Anna Plazajski. Oh, yeah. Uh, so first off, I've got some Oreos. So Oreos, 
are an interesting one because they have no milk content, so they are they're fine for vegans. So you can you can it's actually incredible. eat this one without any guilt or shame. Yes, and I think like Oreos give you a good way of thinking about what's going on in the uh, the flake there because it's it is chocolate, but with with the Oreos, like the sugar content is so high, it becomes a sort of biscuit rather than a it's it's sort of past the threshold of being mm. chocolate. Flakes are kind of on that threshold somewhere between a, a biscuit and a chocolate bar being so high in, in sugar thank Let's, you so should much we try and, should we try and burn an Oreo I just like so I'm, I'm nervously looking at the oh, um, yes. fire alarm which is directly above your head Jamie <laughs> if you I'm, could just I'm keep nervous, <laughs> I'm nervously wafting the fire alarm Okay, let's give this. I mean, we all know what's going to happen to the Oreos, right? They're going to go up in flames. Let's let's just give this a go. Look, yep. we're all scientists. Here. Ready? Ooh. Oh, yeah, oh. there was a bit of a flame there. Yeah. In- <laughs> well, I mean, I think... It's, it appears, actually, I thought it was a flame, but now, looking at it now, it's just completely unchanged. Wow. I mean, I think that probably speaks to the calorific content of an Oreo, doesn't it? Mm. That like it's not phased it at all. <laughs> it's <laughs> like really it's like a ceramic tile. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, where where do you stand on Oreos? I love Oreos. Really? Yeah. Well, I I've only started loving them since becoming vegan. Yeah, because it's because they're one of the guilt-free, the, tasty it's, treats. It's the only thing you can eat. It is. Well, it's funny you should say that because I've bought you two. Easter gifts. Um, these are cocoa chocolatier, uh, sort of arti- artisanal chocolate. Ooh. And so they're both vegan friendly. Yes. And I got you two flavours. I got you, I know that you like gin and tonic. I do. So this is a gin and tonic flavoured dark chocolate. Oh my God, that's amazing. Thank you. And then the other one is haggis spice because obviously Ooh. you don't get to, one of the many things you don't get to enjoy in life is mm-hmm. haggis. So at least you get to have haggis spice. Chocolate. Oh, thanks so much, Jamie. Let's, uh, should we see if we can melt them? Yeah. Now, now we're on to like, <laughs> well, <we're here. laughs> what can we melt? Oh, what beautiful packaging that I've just ripped. Okay. Ooh, that's melted. Yeah. Really? Oh, now it's burnt. <laughs> well, it's what's interesting there is it started to burn on the side, but on when you just apply the heat, yeah, then you it are, does melt. Yeah. You are getting proper melting. It's only when you get like direct flame on. Yeah. Side. Wait, is this the? Um, yeah, have a guess. Is this the gin and tonic one? Yeah, is it good? Mm, well, I've just eaten the burnt bit, so, <laughs> so no. <laughs> I mean, I'm open-minded. Well, you try it. Right. Uh, this is for you've, you. You've kindly eaten the burnt bit for me. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I don't know whether it's just because I've got the burnt bit. <laughs> mm. It does taste a bit like dark chocolate that's been mixed with like a Glade plug-in air freshener. <laughs> <laughs> but I like both those things. Yeah. Um, so. So we've just been eating a few quite wacky flavours of chocolate. They've been zany, haven't they? Is there anything that we're not putting in chocolate these days? (laughs) And that leads on to my next question, which is, where does the future of chocolate lie? What can we put in chocolate next? (laughs) So chocolate, broadly speaking, has has been made from three different varieties of cacao plant uh, through history. So the first of these was Criollo, which is from South America and then got moved up to Mesoamerica, which is the posh word for Central America. You then got Forastero, 
which was the native of uh, the Amazon. And then you got the sort of crossbreed between those, uh, which was Trinitario, which got its name from Trinidad, where that crossbreed was first made. Hmm. So then the one that predominates through a lot of the world now and is increasingly popular by cocoa growers is they're not quite as romantically named CCN51. <laughs> uh, so this is a really high yield cacao, but it's got a really low flavour. And so it's great if you're a cocoa farmer because like you can get loads and loads of beans from it, but it tastes like shit. Um, and so it's good for if you're making any kind of chocolate where you mix it with, you're mixing it with all the other things like milk and sugar salt and whatnot because you can mask the shitter flavor but um it's bad news if you like dark chocolate so like the cocoa chocolatier stuff that we've had or your sort of lint 70 percent dark chocolate stuff the the other thing that's sort of really working against like high quality dark chocolate there's a plethora of diseases that are wiping out cacao plants across across the world the worst of which is this one called witch's broom (laughs) so yeah this is just basically blighting uh, cacao supplies across the world and there's there's a very real fear that dark chocolate as we know it may not properly exist in 20 years but then also we're not going to have like fish or (laughs) breathable air so maybe uh maybe like chocolate going like we won't even notice by that point um it's a bit of a bleak way to finish (laughs) yeah like like i say happy easter everyone (laughs) enjoy Enjoy your eggs (laughs) enjoy it while you still can it's not long left so yeah, that's uh, that's the lovely bleak future of chocolate. Don't oh. take it for granted because it could be gone soon. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, Jamie, what can people don't eat the burnt flake? <laughs> <laughs> why not? Right. Give me four reasons why not before I get this to my mouth. Go on then. Oh, I mean, it's not bad. Really? No. Get that blowtorch. Let's uh, let's give this a go. Let's torch us a flake. Mind your fingers. You see, that's not. There you go. It's not melting. Shit, just I think that's going to set the fire alarm off. Yeah, that is going to set the fire alarm off. I'll just <laughs> wait. I better put it in my mouth quick. Oh, oh, burnt my tongue. Great. <laughs> well, this has been a fantastic afternoon. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me, Anna. Goodbye. Ah. <laughs> oh, right. Did it really hurt? Um, I mean, I'll just talk my way through it. Okay, fine. Um, we actually haven't finished the podcast yet because no. I need to ask you, um, <laughs> Jamie, if listeners have been affected by any of the issues that we've raised in this podcast, mm. where can they go for help and support? <laughs> have you been affected by the issues <laughs> raised in this podcast? If so, well, what's an effective thing people could do? Well, I suppose one thing that people could do is make sure that they ethically source uh, their chocolate bars. Yes. So, As a rule of thumb, the more over the odds you pay for your chocolate bars, the more you're probably doing to help fair trade chocolate farmers. Mm -hmm. Obviously, lots of chocolate bars now will proudly display the fact that they source fair trade beans. But yeah, if you go to your artisanal places, like it's, it's a big part of being a Ponzi chocolatier is that you have a certain level of provenance about where you're getting your beans from. Mm -hmm. But that's a good thing. Because supporting those farmers is going to be the thing that hopefully 
stops chocolate being wiped out by monoculture of these uh, CCN fifty one strains that I mean I'm just I'm gonna say like Monsanto or whatever they're called now, like <laughs> evil food corp. Yeah. Um are predominating across the world. Uh, I mean, again, citation needed on that. I'm probably being defamatory <laughs> there. Who, who fucking knows? So, if people want to follow you on Twitter and see some shelling of their own, oh yeah, or maybe send you some of their own shelling videos. Yes, that's definitely something I'd love to encourage. <laughs> so, on Twitter, I I am at Wimp Scientist. Well, that's a much nicer note to end the podcast. Yeah, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to sort of steer it into oblivion for the whole podcast so yeah well done on uh ending on a good note excellent thank you for coming on thank you so that was my hilarious chat with dr jamie upton and he's still here in the studio to ask me still some here. materials questions yes so jamie what questions have you got for me hmm. is pens a material no is skin a material yes oh uh is mm, I mean, have, have you covered this in the podcast? Is something that's made of a single element a material? So is iron a material? Yes. Right, okay. So my definition of it is usually that a material has to be a solid. So elements like oxygen, mm-hmm. I would argue, in the gaseous state are not really materials. What about glass? Yes. Is a material? Yeah. But isn't... Isn't there a whole weird thing about glasses are liquid and that's why it drips, but just really, really slowly? Ah, so we're actually going to be hearing from glass artist Shelley James in an upcoming episode. I'm I'm drawing from my back memory here, but I'm pretty sure that that thing about have the ancient glass windows having slightly fat bottoms because glass is a very mm. slowly flowing liquid is in fact a myth. Instead, what these medieval glaziers were doing is because they didn't have very good processes for making making really flat sheets of glass, quite often one side of their glass was a bit fatter than the other side. So it made sense for them to put the fatter end at the bottom so that it wasn't top heavy and wouldn't topple out of their windows. Oh, right. So, I mean, yeah, that's always the received wisdom, isn't it? That it's it's just been dripping for hundreds of years, but it's not. It's just they were being smart. Yeah, I mean, when you when you look down at the atomic level of glass, it's made of a really strong network of strong bonds. Mm. Um, we know that the bonds are strong because glass has a very high melting temperature. Yeah. So it wouldn't make any sense for this really strongly bonded together structure to flow around and flow like a liquid. That would be nonsense, wouldn't it? Absolute nonsense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. That's okay. Great. <laughs> All right, so we're going to leave it there for that episode. Thank you, everybody, who's been leaving us some wonderful five-star reviews on iTunes. Keep going on that. You can always tweet us. We're at Real Talk. That's R-I-A-L Talk. And let us know what you think of the podcast. Come and say hi to us. Ask us (laughs) some materials questions. So until next time, thanks everybody so much for listening, and we'll be back at you next time with another episode of Real Talk. 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.